What's going on, family? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you've had an amazing week and that you enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully it was filled with lots of celebrations, rest, remembrances, food, and of course, wrestling, because there was a ton of wrestling this weekend. In fact, it almost felt like mania week, given all of the wrestling that we were privy to across all companies, from Impact to WWE, AEW, New Japan. They all got in on pro wrestling major events that happened this weekend, and we're going to dig into as many of them as we can. So let me just start by saying this. Thank you for all of you who continue to support all that we're doing here at The Faction, whether you're following us on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show, or you're subscribed to our podcast and all the places you can catch us, or if you're brand new to what we're doing, you've seen some of our work in some of our other places, thank you so much for spending time with us. It really does mean the world to us. If you're brand new and you've just stumbled across us, hey, welcome to The Faction. We have fun conversation about the world of pro wrestling, and we'd love for you to subscribe and to be connected to what we're doing. So give us a follow on the socials at The Faction Show across all desks. You can also follow me directly if you'd like to at Bonnerfine. And then, of course, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button wherever it is that you are listening to us. So I want to do this because there was so much wrestling that happened over the weekend. It would be unfair and impossible to cover it all in one episode. So we're going to spread this out so that we can really kind of analyze and have good conversation about this. We'll start with Friday night because while there was SmackDown happening and most of us know it was taped because the WWE was in Saudi Arabia. So they taped that show last week. Not that we won't talk about it, but I would rather talk about the pay-per-views and premium live events. So we're going to start in a place called Impact for a pay-per-view that they presented called Under Siege. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Impact, again, Impact Wrestling, I think they're doing some incredible things. To me, they are the promotion that did what nobody else thought they could. While other promotions like ECW and several others have folded over time, somehow, some way, amidst different networks and different outlets, Impact Wrestling has managed to survive and thrive. I think they figured out, you know what, we're never going to be WWE. We're not going to fill the Tokyo Dome or another large venue. Instead, we know what our size and our space and our influence is, and we're going to maximize that until there's a need for us to grow organically. And I love that. And I think because of that and their focus on creating great stars and giving great content, They've been able to attract some pretty incredible talent to show up at Impact. So with that said, this particular pay-per-view was streamed live on YouTube for Ultimate Insiders. You could check it out if you were on Fight TV or if you are subscribed to Impact Plus, you were able to check out this pay-per-view as it happened. So let's give you some results and then kind of dig into some of the real big takeaways from this event. It started off with the pre-show where the Death Dolls, that's Courtney Rush and Jessica, defeated the Coven, that's Taylor Wilde and Kylan King. 
Kylan King and Taylor Wilde, the Coven, are the Knockouts Women's Tag Team Champions. So that was a big win in a non-title match for the Death Dolls. The digital media champion, Joe Hendry, defeated Dirty Dango by disqualification. And then we move to the pay-per-view, where former NWA and Impact World Champion Nick Aldis defeats Kenny King. Sammy Callahan, Rich Swan, and Jake Crist defeat The Design. That's the team of Diener, Khan, and Angels. Trinity makes her Impact pay-per-view debut, defeating Giselle Shaw. The Impact World Tag Team titles were on the line as ABC, that's Ace Austin and Chris Bay, defeated the team of Subculture, that's Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. The X Division champion Trey Miguel successfully defended his title against Chris Sabin. Meanwhile, there was a number one contenders match for the Impact World Championship, and it would see Alex Shelley defeat Yuyu Yamura, Moose, Eddie Edwards, Jonathan Gresham, and Frankie Kazarian to become the number one contender to the Impact World Championship. In a Knockouts World Championship match, Deanna Perrazzo defeats Jordan Grace. And then in the main event, Steve Macklin defeats PCO in a no disqualification match to retain the Impact World Championship. So what are our big takeaways from this event? Well, first of all, this event takes place once again in Canada. And I got to say that there is a special love relationship that Impact Wrestling has with the nation of Canada. They've done some really great shows there recently. And because they weren't really able to travel there during the pandemic, they are somewhat making up for that by having a number of events back to back there in Canada. So exciting times for Impact Wrestling for sure. Now then, again, major takeaways. First and foremost, in the Knockouts Women's Tag Team Division, which again I say Impact Wrestling has consistently had one of the best and most forward-thinking women's divisions in pro wrestling, regardless of the promotion. Interestingly enough, Rosemary, who was a part of the Death Dolls, had this moment where she went through the undead realm, etc., etc., and has come back with a bit of a character change for the first time. We get to see who she really is as Courtney Rush. Same thing happened for Jessica, and she's been Jessica for a little while now. So it was kind of interesting to see what Rosemary would be like as someone other than Rosemary. And it proved to work for the Death Dolls, who will certainly be getting a World Tag Team title shot at some point in the future. Kind of some of the big things that we're going to be talking about from this, the official pay-per-view return for Nick Aldis, which again, to a lot of us, we might be shocked that Nick Aldis, after that incredible run in the NWA, chose to head back to Impact Wrestling. However, I think there are a couple of things connected to that, one of which there's been a lot of talk about this hiring freeze in WWE now with the sale of the company, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, it just looked like it wasn't a space for free agents like a Nick Aldis, like a Jay White, you know, several people who were on the radar, who it's believed that WWE had been in conversation with and who many feel like could have really done some incredible things in the WWE. So Nick Aldis going back to Impact Wrestling is interesting. Not that it's necessarily a bad move. I mean, after all, being the flag bearer for the NWA, 
which again, it's not the same NWA that it was obviously 30 or 40 years ago. And with him being their main guy, he brought a lot of eyes to that product. I think coming to Impact as a former world champion for both Impact and the run he had with the NWA, I think it adds a lot of credibility to both Nick Aldis and Impact. Let's be clear, Impact is definitely a step up from the NWA. It is not WWE, it is not AEW, but honestly, Impact is a major player, and so we need to consider it as such, and so with that said, big opportunity for Nick Aldis. It seems clear that at some point he will be headed in the world title direction, though the number one contender spot has already been taken. Kind of the other really big piece of news, there are a few pieces of news that are are really big. For one, we see the debut of Trinity on pay-per-view against Giselle Shaw. She had an open contract, and so it was going to be interesting to see who she would battle. She took on Giselle Shaw in what I thought was a great match. Now, this is where I think things get very interesting. Obviously, when Trinity made her debut in Impact, it was major breaking news across the wrestling world. She was certainly treated as a main eventer. You know, they talked about her that entire show leading up to her debut. The big question is going to ultimately be seeing where she fits in and how they're able to take care of Trinity while still respecting the rest of the women's roster. So it's safe to say that Trinity versus Giselle Shaw should not have made evented this pay-per-view and that's perfectly fine i think what's happening with trinity is she gets to get her feet wet with impact before completely diving into the women's world title picture that's all good i've always been a proponent when someone new who is super hot comes into the company do not put them in the world title picture initially let them work up to it let us ride along that journey so that people can all have that kind of buy-in that says, yes, they belong here. Now, how long the journey will be for Trinity and for Nick Aldis, quite frankly, time is still yet to tell that. I think for Trinity, we need to give her a few months. There's talk of perhaps trying to get Trinity to battle Mercedes in what would be a dream match at Multiverse United 2 in Philly this summer. But we don't want to look too, too far ahead. I think by the time we get to Bound for Glory, that's a big enough event where Trinity should at that point be getting a shot at the world title, which again, we're talking about October or so. So we'll see how that goes. But again, congratulations to Trinity for a big win over Giselle Shaw. Now, here's one of the things that was interesting to me. We talked about debuts for Trinity and Nick Aldis on pay-per-view. We also got to see the impact debut of Subculture. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Subculture, Flash Morgan Webster, Mark Andrews, their last big stint was in NXT UK, where they did hold the NXT UK Tag Team Championships. Their partnership with Danny Luna all became Subculture. Now, the first thing that was interesting to me was, again, what I just mentioned about how when you have a new star coming in, you don't want to put them immediately in the title picture. That happened in this case, which I wasn't a fan of. Secondly, 
I thought it was interesting that somehow they managed to use the exact same graphic and video package that they used while part of NXT UK. Part of me wonders if they were able to do that because maybe they created that independently while working with Progress, etc., etc., and they were allowed to just take all of their names, all of their personas, and bring them over. Thirdly, I think it's interesting that, again, Danny Luna comes over with Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews. Nobody had to change their names, etc. So that all of that's just very, very interesting to me. They're a great tag team. They weren't able to defeat ABC. And so now it'll be interesting to see what happens next for subculture where they end up going, what they end up doing. Alex Shelley being the number one contender for the world championship is really cool. In case you may not know, Alex Shelley was the IWTV world champion and lost that title to AC Mack at the top of last year in a historic match, creating a historic title reign for AC Mack. Two other big pieces of news coming out of this pay-per-view. Firstly, the Knockouts World Championship. Deanna Perrazzo defends against Jordan Grace. And the stipulation is, if Jordan Grace loses, she can no longer challenge for the Knockouts World title as long as Deanna Perrazzo is champion. This, for those who are new to this space, is the fourth consecutive match for Deanna versus Jordan. Now, you would tend to think that the law of averages would say that it would be time for Jordan Grace to win that championship. Deanna Perrazzo won that title at the last pay-per-view after it was vacated by Mickey James due to injury. So here we are, Deanna Perrazzo, the virtuosa, defeats Jordan Grace. So it seems to obviously put a clear path for Perrazzo to continue as the knockout world champion. But for Jordan Grace, what happens now? And I think that gets very, very interesting. I think she's found a great home there in Impact. I don't know if this means this is the end of her Impact run. I don't know if there's interest in her going elsewhere. Not sure, but as we know in this business, it seems to always be a thing when husbands and wives are able to work together on the same brand. And of course, she's there with Jonathan Gresham. So it'll be interesting to see. But I do know that obviously people would love to see Deanna Perrazzo eventually take on Trinity for the Impact World Championship. I do think we could have a moment where before we get to there, we may see Jordan Grace taking on Trinity. But Time will tell, certainly impact doing some big things on the women's side. Now let's talk about this world title match. Steve Macklin versus PCO in a no disqualification match for the Impact World Championship. Now PCO is crazy. Let's just say that. He puts his body through all kinds of things that just simply don't make sense. And I will say that I had a lot of concerns during this match. There was one space that I think went viral. The clip has been going all around where in this match, Steve Macklin takes a staple gun and staples the mouth of PCO closed. It was awkward. It was weird. It was crazy. It was violent. I almost think it was unnecessary. But then perhaps even more crazy, more violent, more unnecessary is PCO pulling these large staples out of his mouth. All right. I know it takes different strokes for different folks and we need different things to keep the sport exciting. But I wonder 
that's a moment that's kind of gone a bit too far. Do we need all of that? It's brutal. It's bloody. It's crazy. And I know there is a whole death match contingency out there. I've had the privilege of calling some of these death matches and it's kind of wild. But yeah, this was crazy. It leads to Steve Macklin retaining the championship. At the end, Steve Macklin demands that the head of Impact Wrestling, that being Scott Demore, makes his way out, puts the belt on him. But before he can do that, Bully Ray returns. It gets even more violent and more crazy as Bully Ray and the world champion Steve Macklin end up putting Scott Demore through a flaming table. Again, violence personified ah all right either way it's a moment that we'll remember with impact for under siege and they continue to keep us interested obviously we'll find out more this thursday as impact airs on access tv at 8 p.m eastern you can also check it out on impact plus what do you think of Impact's Under Siege pay-per-view? And if you didn't watch, did my review help you want to at least go back and see what's happening with Impact? Let us know on the socials at The Faction Show. When we come back, we've covered Friday. Now it's time to get into Saturday and WWE's Night of Champions. You know it's the Mac Militant. Coming to get it on. Uh, uh, uh. Hey, what's up, players? This is Teddy Dawn. And you're listening to The Faction on Bonafide Radio. And that's real talk, player. Holla, holla, holla. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I got to plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown, and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm going to start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient, and I announced that we were going to start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But that I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were going to be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perception's reality. How do we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm going to do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. How about that? The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. Lord, a few minutes later. It was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year is going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a win, there is a you, there will always be S-H-W. 
This is the Stroke Daddy Ricky Starks, and you know I only do it one way, and that's big. You're not listening to The Faction. Okay, so this Memorial Day weekend was super packed with a lot of pro wrestling. It started, of course, Friday night as Impact presented Under Siege, WWE presented SmackDown, leading us into this Night of Champions pay-per-view emanating from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And before we even get into the results, can we just talk about the very intentional effort that has been put into making us care about these Saudi pay-per-views. If you remember, these Saudi premium live events were very, very controversial, given all that has happened in terms of the relationship between Saudi and the United States, all of the talk of the massive contract that WWE received from Saudi, how really those early cards didn't mean a whole lot as they were just an opportunity for people to get a large payday and to bring a lot of legends back that people in Saudi would see. Well, I think over the last year or so, a lot of intentional effort has been made to make these premium live events something worth watching. And coming into this, let's consider this is the second of three major premium live events that are happening outside of the continental United States. Of course, the first one being Backlash in Puerto Rico, which for those who don't know, is a territory of the United States. So we don't say that it's outside the United States. We do say that it's outside of the continental United States, which, of course, are the 48. Then, of course, we had Night of Champions. And then in July, July 1st, we'll have Money in the Bank in London. So these international premium live events have a lot to live up to. Given the crowd at Backlash, the responses, etc., it was amazing. Saudi, they came with it, no doubt. And so here's what happened there in Saudi. Seth Freakin' Rollins defeats AJ Styles to win the brand new World Heavyweight Championship. Trish Stratus defeats Becky Lynch with a little help from her friend. We'll talk about that. Gunther retains the Intercontinental Championship, defeating Mustafa Ali. Asuka defeats Bianca Belair to win the Raw Women's Championship. Rhea Ripley decimates Natalya to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Brock Lesnar defeats Cody Rhodes. And in the third main event of the evening, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn successfully defend the undisputed WWE Tag Team titles against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. There is a lot to unpack here, and in all fairness, I probably could have taken the entire episode to do that, but I absolutely wanted to show love across the board to Impact Wrestling. Now let's get into this. First and foremost, let's consider something here. There were seven matches at Night of Champions, but there were three main events. And so I'll say this, people were calling, people were texting, people have been asking all kinds of questions. Why were there three main events? What does this really mean? Let me actually publicly give my thoughts. First and foremost, when you have three main events, do you really have a main event? That's the first thing, 
right? Secondly, I do understand why they set a triple main event because in their mind, there were three massive matches that deserve the billing of main event. Interestingly enough, included in that is Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes. Now, I've shared my thoughts on the placement of Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes when it came to Backlash, how I felt like it should not have been a main event. Instead, the Bad Bunny Damian Priest match should have closed the show. Apparently, the rest of the internet wrestling community does agree with me on that. Now that we come to Night of Champions, does it make sense that Brock versus Cody is considered to be a main event? We could make the argument that Becky versus Trish was just as important. You could make the argument that Asuka versus Bianca was just as important. So I don't know whether or not this should have been deemed a main event. I think the jury is still out on that. Granted, yes, Brock and Cody are two massive stars in WWE. The rivalry is definitely a big one, but so is Becky versus Trish. Should we have had four main events? Or should we just have not worried about the main event concept and let this thing ride? And speaking of main events, one of the interesting things that happened here is one would have thought that the creation of the new World Heavyweight Championship would have been featured in the main event. I think part of the challenge that WWE had here is, okay, yes, the World Heavyweight Championship should close the show. However, in comma, we've got Roman Reigns actually on this show. Roman has to somehow be considered a main event. And then you have Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes. What do you do? So the best thing for them was to do a triple main event. Should those three matches have closed the show? Maybe, maybe not. However, I will say this, that I think it's safe to say that in all of pro wrestling, the opening match is really deemed to be as important as the closing match because that is what sets the tone for this event. And so it is not unfamiliar for a world title match to actually start a pay-per-view. I think back to WrestleMania 35, it was ironically Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal title that opened up that year's WrestleMania. We also saw last year during the Ring of Honor pay-per-view that the world title match opened that pay-per-view as well. So it's not unfamiliar it's not foreign, and I don't have a huge issue with this. I really don't. Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, a marquee match that could open the show, that should open the show. I'm okay with it, and what a match it was. We all knew it was going to be a great match. You could put these two in there with no championship on the line, and they're going to deliver. With the brand-new World Heavyweight Championship, they absolutely delivered. Seth Rollins walks out as champion. Some would say that was predictable, I'm probably one of them. I think as soon as the world championship was announced and we saw Seth Rollins come close to that title, we knew this was going to be his opportunity. So congratulations to Seth Rollins, the new world heavyweight champion. Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus, I think, was a great follow-up to this. You could not possibly follow a world title match with a matchup that wasn't deemed to be on par. And certainly, I think, with all that Becky versus Trish meant, it was very much on par. Can I just say this? I absolutely love these new outfits that the WWE has found a way to create to allow their superstars to be in lockstep with what the culture requires in Saudi Arabia. 
All of the women on here were dressed amazingly. I loved their outfits. It was not just the random oversized t-shirt so that we could be covered. There were some very well-crafted and created outfits, so much so until we saw both Becky and Trish wearing those outfits Monday night on Raw. So yeah, what a win. And I like this. I really, really do. So great stuff. To me, a great match between Becky and Trish and then the unexpected addition of Zoe Stark. So let's have the Zoe Stark conversation. I am a massive fan of Zoe Stark. I've been a massive fan since day one. And it became very, very clear that her time in NXT, she was the veteran. She was the one that was ready. And when the time was right, she would get the massive call up. Now, here's what I really like about the continuity between NXT and WWE. I know that during the initial black and gold figgies, there was a massive difference in philosophy. You had NXT who was really killing it. But then when people would come from NXT into WWE, it wouldn't exactly hit the same. And that's because you had two different systems. You had the Triple H system in NXT and you had the Vince McMahon system in WWE. The intent of creating 2.0 was to create continuity between NXT and WWE. Here's the ironic part. During the 2.0 phase, hardly anybody made the transition to WWE as in Raw or SmackDown. And so we went about a year and a half, almost two years with no real call-ups with the exception of Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa who really weren't 2.0, right? They were NXT. With that said, now with Vince McMahon out of creative, you have HBK, Shawn Michaels, head of creative over NXT, Triple H, head of creative over WWE. We're sitting in a space where we have continuity. And so now the folks who are being brought up from NXT into Raw or SmackDown are being treated properly. And such is the case for Zoe Stark, for her to be inserted into this war with Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus speaks volumes. And I think it's a major, major moment on a major, major stage that is going to work wonders for Zoe Stark. And hopefully this doesn't serve as a major spoiler. Zoe Stark is being included in the Money in the Bank qualifying matches next week against Natalia. Again, a major moment for Zoe Stark. So congratulations to her. Gunther with a big win over Mustafa Ali. Obviously, Ali being there was one of those great moments that, again, would work wonders for Saudi Arabia. And let me just say this. I think it's a great move that WWE has enough diverse talent that they can bring people into international spaces that they know will really be amazing for their audience. Again, think about the ways in which Backlash was catered to the audience in Puerto Rico. And that was a win. And showcasing that on the world stage is a win for everybody involved. So for Backlash, Zelina Vega won. And when I say won, I don't necessarily mean won the match. I mean won in international currency, right? They were able to really present Xena in a light she has yet to be presented in. Also, obviously, all that happened with Bad Bunny, Damian Priest, they all won. 
So the same thing could really be said for what happened in Saudi. Certainly, you look at Mustafa Ali. He had an incredible showing against Gunther. I don't know that many of us expected him to win, but he gave us the feeling at a few moments that he could pull off the upset. And that's a great, great thing. Now, here's perhaps one of two major shockers of the night. And that is Asuka defeating Bianca Belair to win the Raw Women's Championship. I think everybody who made predictions about Night of Champions all picked Bianca to win this match. I mean, think about it. 419 days as the longest reigning women's champion of the modern era. She could do no wrong. It definitely did not feel like Asuka was going to get the best of Bianca. But she did. And the way that it happened was really brilliant. Spraying the mist on the fingers and then rubbing it in her eyes. Absolutely brilliant moment. We have not seen Bianca Belair without a championship in a long, long time. So what happens to Bianca from here is interesting. What does Asuka do? It's interesting. And I know. I already know. So let me go ahead and address this elephant in the room. What do we do? with these specific women's championships that are all on different brands, right? So both Asuka and Bianca were drafted to SmackDown. They were both fighting for the Raw Women's Championship. And of course, the Raw Women's Championship is won by Asuka, so it's technically still on SmackDown. Then you have the SmackDown Women's Champion living on Raw, that being Rhea Ripley, and then you have the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions currently drafted to SmackDown. Yeah, a lot of confusion with the Women's Championships. Let's stay the course on this. Obviously, Night of Champions was not the night for course correction, and that's okay. But Asuka defeating Bianca Belair was massive. It was huge. Congratulations to Asuka. What happens to Bianca? Does Bianca take time off? Does Bianca create a new journey to get back to being a champion? And which championship should she pursue? Should she pursue the Raw Women's Championship or should she pursue the SmackDown Women's Championship seeing that it's not on SmackDown? All of these are questions that will be answered, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Now, speaking of SmackDown and the SmackDown Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley absolutely ripped through Natalia. I still don't know why that match was so short. But it was. And I mean, I think it finally gets us to see just how dominant the SmackDown Women's Champion is. Rhea Ripley is on another plane. One of the most popular superstars, even though she's a part of the Judgment Day. The dynamic between her and Dominic Mysterio, legendary. And even the image of Dom jumping into her arms and laughing at Natalia, just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So congratulations to Rhea Ripley. Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes. I've said this before, and I said it specifically on WWT Live, that Brock Lesnar had to win this match. If Cody, with a broken arm, beats Brock Lesnar, we got a problem. And uh, I thought it was a great match. I thought Cody, you know, finally realizing, hey, I can use this titanium cast against Brock is a great move. He fought valiantly, but yes, he passes out. Brock wins the match. It makes sense setting up a third match, which will likely happen at SummerSlam. That's what seems to make the most sense. Now let's get to what everybody's talking about. The other shocker, the undisputed tag team champions, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against Roman Reigns and Solo. I didn't see how this match would end. 
I mean, is Roman really taking a loss on his 1,000th day as the Universal Champion? Is Solo going to get pinned? Are you going to have Sami Zayn lose in his first trip to Saudi Arabia? What's going to happen? Well, first of all, all of this was brilliant. From the entrances of Roman and Solo, and Roman would normally enter last, but he entered first. And then you have this incredible entrance. Sami Zayn dressed in traditional Muslim garb. Um, oh, man. And then speaking in Arabic, like it just oh, it just all felt so amazing. And I think we have to acknowledge the incredible international presence of Sami Zayn. I mean, think about what Sami Zayn was able to do in Puerto Rico, in Canada earlier this year, now in Saudi Sami Zayn is a national or dare I say international treasure. It's pretty amazing. And so, yeah, what Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have been able to do, let's just consider this. Among all the things we've been talking about, they're the only two men that can say that they have wins over the entire bloodline. Nobody can say that. And I'm talking about during this bloodline era. I don't mean before that. The idea that they can say they have a win over the Usos at WrestleMania and then over Roman and Solo at Night of Champions, crazy, insane, amazing. But then you add the Usos into this. The Usos who were not expected to be in Saudi show up in Saudi and they show up to try to help the tribal chief and Solo. They end up super kicking Solo Roman flips his lid and then Jimmy Uso has had enough. I'm going to tell you something. We can go back to SmackDown and we can really start to see how OMG there's been much more life added to this bloodline story. It felt like it had a lull for a little bit following WrestleMania, but boy, did business pick up this weekend. So I want to ask you, what happens now to the bloodline? Have they officially imploded? Is there a way to get this back together? And how will this impact the championship celebration happening this Friday for Roman Reigns on his 1006th day as champion? But they're celebrating 1000. I want to know your thoughts. Let us know right now on the socials at The Faction Show. All right, we're going to wrap this episode up, but don't worry because there are still two major events to talk about and we're going to dig into those. And that would be AEW's Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground. We're going to dig into both of those, the significance of those events and more. But I want to get your thoughts. Again, hit us up on the socials at The Faction Show. Make sure you're checking me out in all of the spaces, including WWT Live, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for Women's Wrestling Talk. You can check me out every Tuesday with my good brothers from the UK as part of Wrestle Extra. You can also check out my commentary work on Southern Honor Wrestling as a part of IWTV. SHW50 is up right now, so check that out. You can also check out my work with Battle Slam as part of Fight TV and the Nightmare Factory on YouTube. All right, guys, until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I lead my people, here we go.